It's Tuesday, March 24th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Tuesday, gents. Howdy. Indeed it is. We've got some news, unlike yesterday, where we stepped back from the news. I thought that was a very enlightening podcast, though, yesterday. It was a little bit of a different direction. I mean, Chris, I think, did a wonderful job. Yeah, he's a smart Uh, dude. And I, I really did want to talk about just those legal issues that are just sort of out there for investors. Also, the Hall and Oates story is just too <laughs> like it's just too funny to resist. Uh, Spoiler but, alert! <laughs> uh, but today, we've got a new executive for Google. We've got uh, the mother of all dividend cuts. We'll dip into the full mailbag, but let's start with some earnings from McCormick and Company. First quarter profit and revenue better than expected. Shares of the spice maker up more than five percent today. You looked at this. This sure. on balance, this looked like a pretty strong quarter. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you see, we've seen a lot here the past couple of quarters. Uh, maybe some concerns in regard to currency effects, and so I mean, currency effects uh, they can hamper a company's results in the short run. I think that when you look at investing the way we look at it, with with much longer time horizons, uh, currency effects can actually you know provide, if anything, opportunities. Maybe because the market is a bit more short sighted where, where that's concerned, and so I mean, you know. When there's a stronger dollar, there's a weaker something else, right? And and so depending on a company's global exposure, currency effects are just going to play out one way or the other. And, and so over time, we we tend to just not really uh, worry too much about that. We just certainly don't base an investment thesis on currency effects. And when you look at what McCormick has done, I mean, this is a global company. They make you know close to half their money outside the United States. But what was really encouraging, I mean, for just for just sort of normal five, six, seven percent growth here stateside. Uh, they they made an acquisition in uh, China not too terribly long ago, a purchase of a company called Wuhan Asia Pacific Condiments. And essentially what that did was it gave them a, a very strong foothold in the consumer side of, of the China markets. And that witnessed almost 20% growth for the quarter, which I think was really strong. And so when you see McCormick, you know, they, they do such a good job of really just capturing mindshare as being that first thing you see. When you go in into the the grocery store, you look at the spice the spice aisle there. It's just kind of like an automatic. You just grab what you want, and you know that with McCormick's, you're going to get a good quality product. And, and so, you know, they've just built this brand that is has been so reputable. And and you know, I mean, spices are just they're essential for cooking, whether you're a consumer or whether you're a business. And and so, you know, over over time, they really have just built out this brand that's that's just more or less synonymous with spices. And and they are capitalizing on it. It's a slow growing company, no question. There, it's not something that is uh, lighting the lighting the world on fire like your tech companies. But but again, I mean, this is one that has just uh, continued to really perform, especially over longer periods of time. You look at the five year chart, and it's more or less matched the market. But you stretch that out over ten years and longer, you know, it starts to separate itself nicely. And uh, yeah, it, it, a neat business. I like it a lot. But the last couple of years, the stock has underperformed the yeah. market. Not to a huge degree, but but enough that it makes me wonder. Up to that point, up if you go back two years, was the stock just kind of pricey, and people were sort of looking at other places to invest, or were they underperforming to smaller degrees? And certainly, as you mentioned, anytime you're going out and buying, you know, a, a consumer-facing condiment company, particularly in a particularly in a small market like China, you know, that's that's gonna hit you on the bottom line. Right. And so I mean McCormick isn't the only name out there, right? I mean I think it's Penzies that we see a lot of in, in the mail uh, these days and internet ads. And so there there is competition out there that is definitely playing into the company's 
profitability. I mean, you can see over the course of the last five years, margins have gotten squeezed a little bit there. Uh, but by the same token, no, I don't think the stock has ever really represented a steal uh, of a price. I mean, if you look at it right now, it's 23 times full year estimates for a company that is not growing their bottom line at double digit rates. So that's very reflective. That's reflective of a very quality company. Nothing wrong with that, uh, but but it's something that, that investors are going to have to think about uh, in, in holding this stock. Is, you know, price is going to matter with this one because it's not a small company. It's a ten, ten a billion dollar company today. So uh, I think price is going to matter more with this one than not. In you know, in looking at it today, I, I wouldn't call today's price necessarily an attractive buying uh, buying point. But it is it is a company that uh, you can learn a lot from, and it's definitely worth keeping on the watch list for those opportunistic times. If I had one suggestion for McCormick, my sister gave me this idea, so I'm going to give her some credit, but put the label of what spice it is on top of the lid, so you can put it in a drawer. You can keep more oh, without, I like having, that. without having to like guess what's behind it in the shelf. You can just see... Rose and rose and rose deep. A little sticker right on top of it. That's it. That's a good one. I like that. You're welcome, McCormick. (laughs) That's it. You're welcome. Uh, Freeport McMoran, the largest publicly traded copper producer, shares down this morning after the company cut their quarterly dividend by 84%. (laughs) Not all of it, just 84%. That's what strikes me as mildly insane about this. Like, if I can see cutting it by 50%, I can see cutting it. I can see just suspending it all together. Am I wrong to think that this is just a horrible sign for the company? Like I don't know. How did they arrive at this decision? The eighty-four percent. I can't. I can't give you that exact. I've never, rationale, see, I've never seen that before. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there's some backroom math going on there, but uh, dividend cuts aren't something that are are new in oil and gas producing space right now. Uh, you've seen a That's bunch right. of I companies. Mean, they, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. they do copper, but they're they're mm-hmm. also in the oil and that gas. Unfortunately space. for them, yeah, because they everyone thought they were making the right play. Copper was down for a couple of years, and then midsummer in 2013, they went out and spent about. 25 30 billion dollars 25 billion dollars on on two acquisitions uh, within the same month they both they both closed had a decent year from those two companies for 2013 first half of 2014 and then obviously oil and gas just fell off the fell off the map in terms of prices so the company's down about 40% since they made these acquisitions and and now they were going to try and cut back on some debt some of which they took on to double the asset size of their balance sheet with these acquisitions. They're no longer going to try and trim the debt. They're just going to trim the dividend instead, focus on copper and gold over the next year or so, and wait for oil prices to rebound. So um, the stock is up about 5% today last time I checked. So Oh, okay. Think, it, was down, it was down earlier. Yeah, I think what you're seeing is uh, investors are waiting for oil companies to cut their dividend to, to kind of wait out this next year or so and be a little bit more prudent. Um, and a dividend is a way to get around that without having to cut production or um, you know, sell assets at the bottom of the, of the cycle. Is, that, is what oil and gas companies in particular, because I know you watch this industry cl- mm-hmm. closely, is that something that investors should be watching? Not just to the degree, the degree to which those companies are cutting their mm-hmm. dividend, but Three, six, twelve months down the line, should investors start watching for companies coming forward and saying, "Actually, we're upping our dividend." Yeah. Like, is that because that that strikes me as it is 
a pretty nice bullish sign from those companies. Yeah, that's something that you're definitely going to watch for. I might not want to jump on the first wave of dividend increases. Those companies might I thought be you were going to say it's something to watch for, but don't hold your breath. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to wait for a, a more lengthy period of higher oil prices to want my company to increase its dividend. Um, you know, with the prices still pretty low. I mean, you're dealing with six-year lows just last week, and um, really no sign of any retracement back to the $80, $90 range, especially when you talk about storage levels at higher levels than the EIA has data for since 1982 in the United States, and companies doing what they call, uh, what they're calling the frack log now in the industry. Instead of a backlog, they're calling it a frack log where companies in the shale business are are drilling up to the completion stage, which is the fracking stage. So they've got these wells drilled, and they're just sitting there waiting with their thumb on the spigot, ready to frack these wells, which is the most expensive part of the drilling process. So you're just I'm just waiting for prices to get back in that $60 range, oil to start flowing more heavily again, and then prices drop. So the lower cost producers are going to get that opportunity, um, but there's a very few of them that can produce in the $60, $75 range. You know what they say, the solution to, to low oil prices low oil prices. Yeah, I think it's going to be <laughs> uh, pretty low for a while now. <laughs> Two weeks ago, Patrick Pichette announced he was going to be stepping down as Google's CFO, and it didn't take long for them to find a replacement. Uh, Ruth Porat, who is the CFO at Morgan Stanley, um, this seems like a pretty big-time hire. Not that I ever thought Google had trouble attracting top talent, yeah. but She's been at Morgan Stanley since '87. She's been the CFO for the last five years. She is widely considered to be one of the most powerful CFOs in a, any public company and one of the most powerful women on Wall Street. And Google had apparently no trouble whatsoever wooing her. I gotta believe they've got a pretty good package. They can <laughs> entice some of the best talent out there. I mean, that's what these that's what these tech companies are so good at doing. Facebook, Google, even. You know, Twitter, Amazon. I mean, they they are they are very powerful, large companies that uh, are doing everything they can to attract the the most talent because that's really uh, what what helps them uh, continue to grow and to innovate. And I think even on the CFO side, you know, I think it's it's probably more difficult today than ever before to be a CFO for a company, just given you know, the nature of globalization. Uh, there are more more tax considerations, I think, than ever before. More complex systems, more complex operations. It, it's just, I mean, being a CFO, I mean, you have this mandate of really trying to, you know, maximize a company's financial capability, and, and that comes from a number of different perspectives. And so, it's interesting to see kind of this whole shift. I mean, this is this is a trend. It seems that is that is uh, is is going on here with with um, you know some finance folks making the move from Wall Street. Uh, you know, over to Silicon Valley, and and I'm sure it's an attractive one because I mean, when you look at everything that's gone down on Wall Street here in the past, you know, five, six, seven years, I mean, it's it's not exactly been, uh, it's it's not exactly reflected so well. Um, in in with with Silicon Valley, I mean, that's very forward looking market, very forward looking people, and obviously they have the financial wherewithal to to do pretty much whatever they want. And um, so I mean, I, I I don't this this is not a move that really surprises me. At all, but but I mean, uh, you know, I, I I could see <laughs> moving out to a Silicon Valley company It'd be pretty fun. I bet. Yeah. When I read that she's from that area, she's on Stanford's board, and apparently she's pretty familiar with tech because she advised on uh, the mm-hmm. IPOs of Amazon and eBay. So, yep. and Priceline, I think too. Oh, Priceline, yeah, okay, yeah, right on. Yeah, so good luck to whoever's replacing her at Morgan Stanley because <laughs> she is leaving some really big shoes to fill. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Question from Jay Wozniak in Phoenix. 
Jay asks, which companies, if any, are positioned to be strong in the marijuana marketplace? I believe as the individual state dominoes of legalization begin to fall, getting in at the ground level of this market would be a bet I'm willing to make. I'll turn it over to you guys in a second. I agree with him in the broad sense, but I think one question to ask is, how quickly are those state dominoes going to fall? Because I think we are in the, I mean, we are in the earliest stages of just a few states legalizing various stages of marijuana use. Mm -hmm. Um, But Taylor, what do you think? I think that, yeah, you look out west, obviously, and a few states out east, D.C., just uh, allowed people to grow up to six plants and hold it, hold a little bit, but no one's selling it at stores like they are out west. Um, and no one really feels that this is a permanent thing, even in Colorado and Washington and Oregon. So you're really kind of taking a big risk if the investment that you're choosing is solely based on the legalization of marijuana. Um so one company that I've looked at for this because the CFO or the CEO spoke out about it last summer is uh, Scott's Miracle Grow. If you're looking at the home grower, oh, that's right. Yeah, you know, you've got the the home grower going into a, a hardware store and picking up some some fertilizer. They're not dealing with uh, tons of fertilizer. They're dealing with bags of fertilizer or some soil or whatnot. And uh, Scott's Miracle Grow has been going undergoing some changes in the uh, the executive suite. They about 45% uh, reduction in an ex- in executive staff recently. Uh, there's no number on how many that is, but they're expected to save about $40 million on that and looking to reinvest it back into the business. Um, and the two areas that I thought were pretty interesting of the CEO to talk about were, uh, well, I guess three, in- urban, indoor, and hydroponics. All of that kind of speaks to a home grower if you were going to get in there and grow a couple marijuana plants for yourself. Uh, and he's been vocal about it being a, a business that they could get into to attract some younger customers. Yeah, Jason, there there actually is a website, marijuanastocks.com. <laughs> and it's, I mean, you go there, presumably yeah. for anyone who's thinking, oh, I'm going to make a pure play investment yeah. in the growth in marijuana. It's basically all penny stocks. Yeah, and I mean, we've, we've gotten this question a lot over the past year because it has been, it's been an interesting headline. Um, and so I think to I mean to Taylor's point I think we are in in the very nascent stages of of something we can't even quite define yet I mean it, it you know we we know there is there's a growing move towards medicinal marijuana and recreational marijuana use and that's all fine and good but but there's still a lot left to be done and and a lot left to be cleared up there and so I think that you know whenever you see any any of these penny stocks, I mean, I would avoid them like the plague. I mean, they could paint all sorts of fun stories, um, but but at the end of the day, I mean, these these are not these these are very speculative investments at, at the very least, and you're probably better off number one waiting for a little bit more clarity as time goes on, and and then I mean, you know, maybe not even looking for something that would be like a pure play or a direct play into that market, but something that that could be sort of a, a tangential play into it. Uh, Scott's Miracle Grow, that could definitely be one. Um, Jack in the Box with their munching, <laughs> late night munchie menu. Jack in the Box, Chipotle. <laughs> three dollar ta- three, Yum three brands. For a dollar. I mean, any, any one of those could work out too. I mean, who knows how this landscape will, will change over time? And 
and perhaps there is some kind of Starbucks for weed on the horizon. Who knows? And, and if something like that did come up, Chris, I, I would be very uh, interested in looking at that as an investment because when you find something that, that generates those, those kinds of repeat purchases and loyal customers, uh, as we've seen uh, history shown us, that they, they can be very lucrative investments. Or if you're looking to open your own marijuana store out west, just put it next to a Starbucks. There you go. Automatic traffic generator. If Girl Scout cookies were public. I think that that would be one worth considering. I saw some very um, entrepreneurial Girl Scout stories this this past cookie season of, of kids going out there and putting up cookie booths next to dispensaries and oh, yeah. selling out within the hour. <laughs> and I mean, those, those things are mega profitable. <laughs> See, I, I like that move because just like Jay's question, it's it's where is the opportunity? That's yeah. what it boils down. That's yeah. why I That's love it. Jay's question. Where, where is is there an opportunity here? And entrepreneurial girl scouts very smart. Very they smart. Are. Uh before we wrap up, got to thank a couple of special guests we got visiting us today uh and traveling a great distance, I might add. Uh, Bill Rampton, who's a stock advisor member from Colorado and his brother-in-law Andy Tomage in from Wyoming. That's that's a haul. Yeah, so, well, so to make it all the way the to Full HQ, that is quite a haul. Jason Moser, Taylor Muckerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank thanks, you. Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.